0: Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, there is, there is a lot going on around us in the world, in our own hearts, even in this own room, God. We just ask and we pray that you would calm our minds and quiet our hearts to sit under your word your living word that has been transforming your people for thousands of years from one degree of glory to the next so that we can be conformed into the image of your Son. And so, God, we ask that you would use this time to conform us into the beautiful, beautiful image of your Son for your glory. Amen. Amen. One of the joys of gardening is that you're able to take this raw earth and you till it up and you till it up. And then you take this one little seed and you put it in the ground and you give it a, this nice little pat, you know, and then you water it. And, and in due time, it begins to grow and to grow and to grow. And this little seed begins to bloom and it's beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful how this, this one little seed grows and grows through, through pressure and through being buried and pressed and drowned, it grows. Through the heat of the sun, it grows. And it blooms and these flowers are gorgeous and beautiful. Or if you're like, now our garden is quite neglected at, by this point of the year. It's lost its, uh, our fervor in keeping it up and fighting the weeds. But these beautiful flowers begin to grow. And right about now, in this time of the year, this one seed that has been pressured and drowned and scorched in the sun has grown up and it's blooming and it's beautiful. But right about now, it's beginning to give its own seed. And now you just don't have one seed. Now you have a hundred different seeds that have started and grown and bloomed into display the beauty of God's glory. And that is what we're seeing here in our text in Philippians and how Paul is being used, he himself, and it's just kind of a short narrative as to what's going on with him being in prison. And you see that he's being used as an instrument for the gospel, regardless of the situation. So that's what I'm hoping that you guys are able to draw from this, is that you and your lives, it's not just about Paul, but all Christians, to be used as an instrument for the gospel. Does it matter if you stay home? No. Does it matter if you work? No. Does it matter where you do it, where you're at? If you have grandchildren, if you don't have children, wherever you're at in life, you are to be used as an instrument for the gospel. We'll be looking at Paul, among others, as an example of that. So in verse 12, how are we going to break this up? In verse 12, well, then we see our seed. Verse 13, this little seed of him being in prison begins to bloom and to go out. And then finally in verse 14, it's not just one seed and one plant that is blooming. Now you see that seeds are spreading and carrying off to spread the gospel. So here's a little background about what's going on in Paul's life over the last couple of years. He's finally concluded the, the third of his three missionary journeys. The final one is done. and He makes his way back to Jerusalem against the counsel of some people. But he goes to Jerusalem and when he's there, he has a Gentile with him. You remember this? Trophimus. He has Trophimus with him. And Paul, he's being pressured in, so he goes, all right, I'll make my ritual cleansing. I'll go into the temple, make my ritual cleansing, which they would do after traveling through Gentile lands. But traveling around the city, they had seen Paul with Trophimus traveling around, discipling, growing in the faith, encouraging one another. And then they see Paul in the temple and they go, Trophimus must be with him. So that's why they arrest him. So he arrest, they arrest him. And he spends two years in prison uh, in a cell, maybe the size of this stage here. You can still see the remnants of it in uh, Caesarea maritime along the Mediterranean. He spends two years there. and um, he finally he appeals to Caesar after two years. And he has a small little incident about a shipwreck in the middle of the Mediterranean. They're washed up on shore. And then in due time, he makes it to Rome, finally. And he's in house arrest there in Rome. And he's there for two years, according to Luke. You see that at the end of, of Acts. And he has the gall, Paul. He has the gall, he has the nerve, he has the audacity to write this. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served... To advance the gospel. Really? Like that's what you come up with? No, you you've been shipwrecked, you've been beaten, you've been wrongfully imprisoned for several years now. But you know, he's saying, brothers, I want you to know, I want you to be encouraged that all of this, all of this in my life is being used to advance the gospel. So you see here, Paul is putting himself in the scales of his life and the gospel, and it's not even close from Paul's perspective. I hope that's the same for yours, but for Paul, the perspective, it's not even the same. But, and you want to go like, Paul, don't you realize, like, you were the guy, right? You were the one that the churches were funding and standing all over. You were the one who they're doing the missions work. You were the one that people are writing about. But he's saying, no, me, I'm not just stuck in the house. I want you to know. I really do believe it. This is not some spin you see in political games. He's not just putting a spin on it. No, he really wants you to know that me spending my the prime of my years in prison, when I could be planting more churches, I could be training up more of the first generation of Christians, me being sequestered here in prison, has been really beneficial. It has been really useful. It has really served to advance the gospel. See, you see that it doesn't it doesn't matter his situation. It, he could serve and spread the gospel. He's in prison. Yes, it doesn't matter, friends. You don't have to wait for the perfect platform to go and to spread the gospel. Wrongfully imprisoned. That'll do. That'll be fine. We can work with this. We got something. Working on Mayo? That's fine. We can do this. I got some hoops to jump through, but yeah, we can do this. Staying home with the kids? Yeah, perfect. Praise be to God. We can do this. It's contrasts contrast this with what the world will tell you. And how they... View suffering and what Paul is enduring. See, they, the world, well, they're the world's here, not surprisingly. They're going to push the sovereignty of God. They're going to push that far aside. That has nothing to do with going, what's going on. Push, so you push that aside. And when the suffering comes, either you flee from it, you get a divorce, you go to drugs, run to pornography, whatever it might be, or you fight it. So then you fight every institution that represents authority because inherently authority means oppression and suppression. So either with pushing God aside and His sovereign control over all things, that's what you're left with. Are you going to run away? Call it quits in your marriage? In the midst of the suffering? Or are you going to fight? And the eventual outworking of both of those is that you have no hope. But take a moment. This isn't just Paul's life. This is a continual theme throughout the Bible itself, of God using or God ordaining suffering in the and in, in the lives of his people to bring about the advancement of his glory and his gospel for his name. Just think about them in Egypt, four hundred years suffering in slavery, toiling, and hardship. 400 years so that God could show his redemptive power and glory throughout the whole world. Or they go to Babylon for two generations, 70 years. And again, God uses that to redeem his people. They suffer. Because of their sin, yes, but their suffering. And God is using that as a means by which He's able to display His control. Not just over the Egyptians, ah, but the Assyrians, the Babylonians. He's controlling them all. These empires that are rising are rising at the hand of God. If that is true, what about the circumstances in our own small lives? Certainly that's true as well. We go over to the New Testament. You look at Stephen, in in the book of Acts, Acts six it starts. He's a man filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're in Christ, same Spirit, same Spirit that you are filled with, and his suffering leads to the first movement of Christians outside of Jerusalem. So that the spirit, by the Spirit, he's demonstrating the power of God to them, and and they. They pull him aside and he gives him a defense. And he recounts of how they have been unfaithful to God all the way throughout the centuries. They have not been following God. They have not been following God. And this is their response. But they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and rushed together at them. Then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And as they were stoning Stephen, this is amazing, as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold their sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. What a waste. Right? A guy, again, in his prime, probably had a family, probably had kids. If not, he could have raised them, sent them to Hebrew school. He could have served faithfully in his church for so many years after that. What a waste. All of this suffering for nothing. Luke, he picks it up later in Acts 11, chapter 19. He says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution under Stephen, that traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Okay, so we're still with the Jews here, but what's going on? But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, Who, coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists. Not just Jews, but now the the Gentiles as well. Preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. So now you have, from his suffering, from this death of Stephen, the gospel going forth. It's going north, it's going west. And through the suffering of Stephen, do you know what you have? The first multi-ethnic church that is planted in Antioch not just Jews from different regions of the world, but no, Jews and Gentiles, through the suffering of Stephen, is it, no one could have ever known. They just saw him being faithful in that circumstance. Same with us. Just being faithful in this circumstance. The same church that has been the one that, remember, they are the ones gathered together, fasting and praying, laying hands on Barnabas, And Paul and sending them out on their missionary journeys. All of this is coming forth. Then the gospel, then from Paul, is being brought out into the Mediterranean, into Asia, and then finally into Europe. All of this happening from a church that was planted that started from Stephen and his suffering. You never know. But all of this would be fanciful stories if it were not true in the life of Christ. But we see that this certainly is true. Here He is. He's abandoned by His disciples. He's mocked. He's arrested. And he's, he tramps through town like a trophy. He's whipped. He's crucified. And with every hammering blow, the nail going through His hands and piercing into the wood, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And you hear the hammer pounding away. And in His death, His burial, His resurrection, and His ascension back to the Father, we have the gospel. This is what sets us apart. Christians from Everybody else, not even religious people, just everybody else, we exalt humiliation. We exalt suffering. We know it will be redeemed. We don't have to deny it. We don't have to explain it away. We can walk through it as we follow Christ as He has walked through it. So we're not surprised as it goes throughout the Old Testament into Christ. We see this with Paul. This carries on to the who's a Christian um, mid to late 1st, 2nd uh, century, carrying on to the 3rd century when he finally passed away. And he writes this um, apologia, this apology or defense of the gospel, which which many of the church fathers would do as they're trying to say, no, this is... This is real, not just against Jewish people, but against the other, the ruling class and everything, who were oftentimes persecuting them. And this is what Tertullian writes. But go, go zealously on good presidents, that is the ruling class who is often persecuting them. You will stand higher with your people if you sacrifice the Christians at their wish. Kill us. Torture us. Condemn us. Grind us into, just, into dust. Your injustice is the proof that we are right. Therefore, God suffers, or God allows that we suffer. Nor does your cruelty, however exquisite, avail you. Rather, it is a temptation to us. The more often you mow us down, The more we come back and the more we grow. The blood of the Christians is the seed. Often rendered, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. This is true even today. One of you sent me an article, a beautiful story of coming out of Iran. Iran. Masud goes and he visits his brother, Reza, who's in prison in Iran. Reza's a murderer. He deserves to be in prison. And he's going to be executed in two days. Masood comes and wants to comfort his brother. But it's switched. Reza begins comforting him. Reza tells him, it will be fine. I've been born anew. I've seen the light of the gospel. I've seen the light of Christ. See, what happened is there's this pastor, Amir, in Iran, who was arrested for spreading the gospel. And while he's in prison, he continues doing what Christians do. We spread the gospel, regardless of the circumstances. And Reza comes to Christ two days before he's going to be executed because of the false, terrible, egregious imprisonment of this pastor. And then when they asked this pastor, he he asked him, actually Reza asked him before he passed away, he said, Amir, why are you here in prison? expecting him to say because the government's corrupt, because they're out there to get me, because Christians have always been oppressed. No, this is what Amir says. I am here for you. I am here for you so that today you can hear the gospel, you can be saved and set free. These words are true in Egypt and Babylon. They're true in the life of Stephen. They're true in the life of Paul. Certainly, this is all true because we see it in the life of Christ. And we can say this is true because we are under the sovereign reign and control of our living God. And perhaps you're sitting there. I get it. You're sitting there and you're going, I don't see prison in my my future. Well, some of you have also said that, but it didn't turn out that way. But... I'm trying not to look at, I'm keeping my eyes up now, so I don't look at anybody. P- what does this have to do with me? Well, I, we just want you to see that these are not pinnacles of faith. No, these are, these are not outliers of the normal Christian faith. These are regular men and women, just like you guys, who are filled and set apart by an extraordinary Holy and just God. Filled with that Spirit. And this Spirit is working through them regardless of the situation, just like it is working through you regardless of your situation. So even if it's not ideal, if it's not what you want, that's okay. In that situation, you are an instrument to bring the Gospel in. Wherever God has planted you, in this city, in this time, God has placed you here. He's orchestrated these circumstances around you. That's fine. Like the gardener putting the seed in this row at that spot. We bloom and we grow. So there's no suffering that outweighs the glory of the Gospel. And I hope that sinks deep, deep into your hearts. There is no suffering that outweighs the the glory of the gospel. So Paul has been planted here in prison. And what's the net result here? We see that it begins to bloom. Go to verse 13. Well, we'll just read verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment my imprisonment is for Christ. Now, it's it's common for men at any time throughout history to be imprisoned and to be imprisoned rightfully. But here is Paul again at the height of his ministry. He's not falling to moral failure. He's not embezzling money from the church, like you see. That's not it. He's at the height of his ministry. And here he is, sitting in prison. Do you know what's frustrating? For me, how frustrating that can be. Leading all these mission trips, starting all these churches, you know, training up men. He's on the cover of Christianity today. And there he is, in prison. And God just tells him, here, why don't you guys, why don't you just come right here and just sit in this cell here? Well, for two years, and then you can shipwreck, and then why don't you go sit in that cell over there for that house arrest for two more years. And these divinely, these divine appointments brought in through Paul's imprisonment, you see that they're almost a way of life. Well, look in Philippi, the the letter that he's writing him to. It's through his imprisonment that the jailer comes to Christ. So not surprisingly that it's again through his imprisonment that now the whole imperial garden and, and all the rest are hearing the gospel. And so this seed that is planted, it grows and it begins to bloom. And you see that Paul is being faithful because he knows that he's an instrument like you guys. No matter the situation that he is to be faithful in bringing forth the gospel. So is he in Mars Hill, yeah, that's sure. I'm going to preach the gospel. The death, the burial, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this core teaching of who we are that shapes all of who we are. The Mars Hill, yeah, I can preach it. I'll do that there. Yep, that's what I'm going to do. Okay, well, synagogues, okay, I'm going to preach the gospel. The temple, I'm going to preach the gospel. Okay, oh, what about the river, by the river in Philippi? Yeah, you know what I'm going to do? Uh, believe it or not, I'm going to preach the gospel there. That's what I'm going to do. Same thing with you guys. You're at work? Yeah, I'm going to share the gospel. And it doesn't have it's not this bring out the four spiritual laws. No, in in your own way. We're not all Paul. Nobody's Paul, right? Play in your own way. At work, bring in the gospel. Maybe that's just having them eat lunch with you befriending them. Maybe it's a process that takes years, and that's fine. But just taking the next step from wherever you're at. Or you're walking down the street. Well, Okay, you meet someone to share the Gospel with them. Or you're talking with your neighbors. Share the Gospel. Spread the Gospel. All of our suffering. See, what Paul is, is not just suffering. His suffering would be in vain if he was not using it as a platform, as a means by which to... Spread the gospel. It would have been pointless for him to sit in prison had he not been using it to spread the gospel. And In our lives, we like to take things that just isolate them. So we can be super Christian on Sunday morning. That's pretty easy. We can do that. Or I can be really zealous and I'll spread the gospel when I'm with you know, Joe and Patrick. Well, That's pretty easy then. Or when I'm on missions trips. And then I can spread the gospel then. But to bring it in to our ordinary life. This is what we see with Paul. It's not just the missions trips when he's zealous. It's not just when he's at the temple. But his life itself is the platform for sharing the gospel. So here he is again wrongfully imprisoned. And he's using this as an opportunity to spread the gospel to the whole imperial guard. And to all the rest. Could he complain that he was there unjustly? Absolutely. He was a political pawn when he sat in prison for two years in Caesarea. He was a political pawn. Unjustly arrested. Could he complain? Absolutely. Was the system against him? Uh, yeah. Yes, it was. But he used it because he we knows that there's no man that we listen to more clearly than the one who is unjustly suffering. A whole nation will listen to them. Coworkers will listen to them. Not listen to them complain. Not listen to them rebel, but they'll listen to them as they joyfully share their sufferings with the world. So how do we then apply this to our lives? We have to answer the question. We continually come back to this. What is more important in our lives? What is more important? Our lives, our comfort? Are we going to rebel against this? Or are we going to see that this is an opportunity to spread the gospel? I'm being redundant because it needs to sink in. Don't become bitter at the suffering in your life. Don't become bitter at the circumstances in your life. We worship a sovereign God. So we rejoice in every circumstance, knowing that it can be used rightfully, joyfully, to spread the gospel. So in this text, here, we see the this, this seed that is impl- implanted, and it's implanted in prison. And it takes two years, and it's growing up. And it's blooming as he spreads the gospel and shares it with the whole imperial garden to all of the rest. That He lets them know that, hey, my imprisonment's for Christ. Well, then what's the natural progression here? Then verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. See, this is when an idea becomes a movement. This is when it's no longer just one man standing in the midst of of his confinement in his cell preaching the gospel. But now what you have, you have most. You have the brothers. Most of them. They're becoming encouraged and emboldened by his acts of faithfulness. And now they're going on and carrying on the work of God without fear. Bringing forth the word. See, without verse 14, without this, Christianity would have just died out in the first century. Without this carrying on. And that's what we are still doing, my friends. We're just a candle that has this flame of the Gospel and we are passing it on to the next, and to the next, and to the next. In our candle, it burns out. But the light of the Gospel continues to go forth. So that it's not just us who are sharing it, but now it's most of the brothers who are sharing it as well. And this historical truth of the death and the resurrection becomes a movement then and consumes the whole world. And it's this idea, we're getting to the end here, it's this idea that shapes how we even do ministry here at Redemption we have this little bonfire going and we're collecting sticks and what we don't do, we don't just throw them into the bonfire to make a bigger bonfire. In the darkness, you could double the size of the bonfire. It's not that much brighter. But what you do is you take these sticks, you bind them together, you build them up, you encourage them, you strengthen them for the cold nights of the darkness around them. And you set them ablaze with the Spirit and the Gospel. And you take from this little bonfire. You don't grow it, but you take these torches. And then you go out into the darkness. That is what we are trying to do here at Redemption. Not to grow this enterprise. Not to grow this church. But to train up men. Train up women. Have future church plants, Send out missionaries. Encourage you guys pause on your life in the trajectory you think you have and to go and do missions. To pause and be a part of a church plant. To pause and to help them, fund them, take care of them, encourage them. That is what we are trying to do here at this church. And if you want to be a part of that, You're in the right spot. So friends, we have this call before us that we see displayed throughout all the Scripture. And right in this text, we see it displayed in the life of Christ. That suffering is not a deviation from Christianity. It's not a deviation from Christ, nor of the gospel going forth. But every situation and every opportunity is to be used to advance the Gospel. So we beg of you guys, we beg of you to carry this light of Christ, piercing it into the darkness so that the glory of God will not only shine in your hearts, but it would shine in the darkness around us. Let us pray. God help us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, again thank You for Your Word and we ask that You would conform us into Your image so that we can carry the light of Your Gospel into the darkness around us, God. And let us not waste any opportunity to share the beauty of this truth of Your Son in His death and burial and resurrection, God. In Your ultimate glory, God, we ask that it would cover not only our lives, but it would cover this whole city and this world as water cover this, the seas. Amen.